Welcome to the CGOE Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we look back at an historic day at Wimbledon for Canadian tennis with Mark Arndt of Tennis Manitoba and look ahead to the NBA Finals with Kyle Milroy. That's all coming up on the podcast. Soje Eliassim, Dennis Shapovalov both winning their matches to get to the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. The first time two Canadian men have ever made the singles Grand Slam quarterfinals of the same event. It's truly a big day for tennis in Canada, so I wanted to have Mark Arndt on of Tennis Manitoba. Usually have him on before the tournaments, did that, but got to have him on during the tournament, Mark, because today it ranks pretty high up there in the annals of Canadian tennis history, does it not? Uh, does it ever? I'm uh, I'm very happy to be here with you because that means something special is happening during the uh, during the course of the tournament for the Canadians. So, uh, yeah, glad to be here with you to talk about it a little bit. So, just to recap for those who uh, aren't familiar, Denis Shapovalov, the tenth seed, beat the eighth seed Roberto Bautista Agut in straight sets. He completely dominated uh, Bautista Agut, who did not play well. Uh, and then in the other match, Felix Ojealiasim, who's a sixteenth seed beat the fourth seed, Alexander Zverev. Felix took the first two sets, lost the next two. I thought, oh, uh-oh, here we go. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be another learning experience because he blew a two sets to non lead in the fourth round of the Aussie Open. But yeah. he he broke serve, got broken, but then he fought back. I was truly blown away by the resolve of this 20-year-old who is the youngest quarterfinalist since 2014. You must have been impressed too watching him today. Yeah, I really was. I mean, I thought uh, when he got up two sets to nothing, and then uh, when it was slipping away there in that third set, I said, "Oh, oh!" Like I, I don't know how uh, how tough he'd be mentally, and if he'd be able to to stop Zverev, and and especially when it got into the fourth set. Um, I, I didn't think I didn't like his chances because uh, in the past, I mean, his serve failed him. He started double faulting and all that in previous tournaments, and. And today I'm just watching like almost like a um, a kid turn into a man in front of our eyes, basically the way he held himself, how he was composed, and um, it, it was just nice to watch. It was nice to see that transformation in him holding his nerve at the end and not letting the uh, the surroundings get the best of him. Because honestly, like I mean, he's any other Wimbledon on on a massive court, the people are back in and watching again after such a long time of not having fans in the stands. And it could have easily gotten to him the whole situation. And, and it, he just didn't. I mean, yeah, I, I'm very impressed that he pulled that off. There was a specific moment in the match when it was 2-3 in the fifth set. Felix went from 40-15 up on a serve to deuce. And I thought, uh-oh, he's going to get broken here and he's going to lose. But he yeah. fought through that. He ended up getting the break back. Alex Zverev has some issues as well with with closing out matches. He's had he's had mm-hmm. a lot of issues with closing. So, what we see now is as Felix, who turns 21 n- next month, Dennis turned 22 in April. The young guns that we talked about before the tournament that haven't really made that breakthrough for Canada at these majors. I mean, we're looking at it now uh, an opportunity for sure to maybe even go further. Dennis, for sure, he's going to be the higher seed in his quarterfinal against the 25th seed, Karen Hatchinoff, who's not, this is the first time he's been this far. How far do you expect either of them to be able to go here, or have your expectations kind of been met now that they've made it this far? Uh, they've been met, definitely they've been met, but I, I think looking at the draw playing Hatchinoff, uh Dennis should Dennis should take him. I, I watched Hashinov's match today, and I mean that fifth set that he he played. And I'm not sure if you caught it, but thirteen I mean, breaks of serve in eighteen yeah, games. That's yes. exactly exactly <laughs> my point. So I mean, 
You know, and I think Dennis, if, Dennis is one of those guys. He can beat anybody in the world when he's on, or he can just lose to anybody in the world. Like that, that's how Dennis plays. And when he's on, he's on. He is that good. And right now, he's that good, and he's got that confidence. And we know when he's got that confidence, as long as he can rein it in, and it doesn't get the best of him, uh, and he stays focused and, and just in the moment. I think he should he should take care of Hashinov, and then uh, the other quarterfinals, Djokovic against Vukovic, and I mean the the underdog, uh, Djokovic should be winning that match, but uh, the other player is playing really really well, and and there's a chance for an upset there. So I'm kind of watching for that, and and um, that'd be very interesting. I mean the the final eight here, well, we still have one match to to be completed to to get Federer's opponent, but. Uh, um, it's very interesting. It's very, uh, very flavorful. Many different countries represented, and different styles of tennis are represented. And it's nice to have two Canadians in the final eight. Absolutely, we haven't seen it before. So, got yeah, Djokovic and Fuchovic who beat Rublev today on yeah. that side of the bracket. I'm assuming Daniil Medvedev will be Federer's mm. opponent. You never, you never know. Mm. Hubert Hurkacz is, yeah. is a solid player, so yeah. uh, Medvedev is up two sets to one. That uh, yeah. match has to resume because there was rain today. But uh, Felix's opponent is Matteo Berrettini, who's the seventh seed. He's an Italian who has made it this far now uh, for the first time here. He is amongst the, you know, the, the large group, the ever-growing group of kind of that next-level, next-gen group of, of men's players. It's his uh, first Grand Slam quarterfinal at Wimbledon. It's his third overall. Uh, that's, I think that's a, that's a tough matchup for Felix, is it not? It is. It's very. It's a very tough matchup, but uh, but again, it's uh, it, it's also doable for him. I think he can the way he's playing right now. I mean, he's fit enough. He's got the shots, and if if uh, he plays the way he played today, it'll be a very uh, well contested match, and it can go either way. Like I, I flip a coin on that because I mean that's a, it's splitting hairs the difference between these players now, and and it's just who's on on the day, who's feeling better, who's feeling fitter on the day, and 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 makes less mistakes and. Uh, uh, seizes the moment, and and I think, you know, again, from from Felix is going to gain so much confidence from from being able to withstand uh, Zverev today, and it's going to take him a long way. It, it really, I think, with that confidence of, of coming through today's match, he'll have that uh, hopefully that swagger going into that Berrettini match and, and beyond, hopefully. And we know that Federer and Djokovic are, you know, Federer turns 40 soon. He's not, he's old. Yeah. Djokovic is still, <laughs> I think, motoring along in his prime. But when you get to the quarterfinals of a major and you don't have to face Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer, that mm-hmm. feels like an opportunity to keep going, <laughs> right? It sure is. You know, these these guys are smiling that they can play either one of the two in the semis. And, and again, at that point, anything happens on the day. So it's a massive opportunity for our Canadians. It's a great draw the way it opened up for them and and to not having to face either Djokovic or Federer until the semifinal for our two Canadian boys. It's, uh, it's a great draw. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Honestly, you couldn't have asked for anything better. And I know that uh, Andy Murray isn't what he once was. He's He was tired. He was on a, t- yeah. a, a metal hip. But still, yeah. for Shapovalov to go into center court for the first time and beat Andy Murray as soundly as he did, I think that was a big moment for him too. It was. Mentally, it was such a moment because, again, it's one of those things. These players, I mean, you've seen them play up close. The, the difference is, is minimal. It's, it's really what's between their ears uh, mentally. Uh, and, and that's who wins and who loses and who has that resolve to, to, to stay the course and, and you know stay on track. 
and uh, being again center court Wimbledon against the you know Britain's best player from for the last 50 years basically and and again it would be it would have been a, a situation where where it could have gotten the best of, of Dennis and it didn't and he came through I mean he's straight sets and uh, you know he complimented Murray and all that gave him that respect but at the same time he, he really beat him up and uh you know it, it was nice to see it was nice to see a canadian come through and uh again until you're in that moment and, and sitting on center court and looking around it's like wow i'm here and playing against their legend and, and i beat i took care of him easily and that gave him more confidence and it showed in his following matches all right before uh we wrap it up obviously i think we can as long as Djokovic is in a tournament, he's the favorite. So we don't even need yeah. to spend any time on that. But on the women's side, we we talked about uh, last week how there's just no there's no chance of ever guessing what's going to happen. Listen to this: twenty two different women have made Grand Slam quarterfinals this year out of a possible twenty four. Only Ash, Ash Barty and Carolina Mahova have made more than one. There is no overlap between the eight quarterfinalists at the French Open and the eight quarterfinalists here at Wimbledon. I know it's clay to grass, but, I mean, it's just you never know what you're going to get. And the top two seeds are still in it, which kind of feels unusual. It's, yeah, and, and we talked about it a week ago before the tournament started, and, and you asked, who do you think is going to win? I said, give me 24 choices and I'll take one of those. I, I, it's so tough to, to call and. And I didn't know that stat that you just said is the 22, the overlap stat there. Oh my gosh, like I, you know, the parody in the women's game is is great. It's great on one hand. And on the other hand, though, you're not getting that returning champion that somebody can attach themselves to. But I think this is fine as well. Like each, each tournament you see, I mean, Ange Jabur, she's seated 21. And I'm, I'm yeah. kind of picking her to win the whole thing. She's looking, and that would yeah. be massive for her country. And, and yeah, so... I don't know. I, I'm just looking at the draw right now. Ash Barty, of course, number one, and then she's tough. She's won it before, so it's hers to lose. But uh, you look at all those names. Kerber's playing fantastic. Um, Sabalenka is another one. Uh, the second seat. She's she has a chance. I mean, I, again, if I had to put money on something right now, I wouldn't because I don't know which way I'd go. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> good luck with that one. Yeah, Barty is the one seed. She's she's won the French Open before. Kerber's won uh, the yeah. Wimbledon three years ago. They're the only two players left that have won a Grand Slam singles title. Carolina Pliskova has been to a final. She's kind of petered out over the last few years. And then Sabalenka, as, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the two seed who had never been this far before was always kind of that underachiever in big yeah. events. But you mentioned on Shabur, she took out Iga Sviantek very confidently today. Mm-hmm. And she's from Tunisia. That matchup with Sabalenka is going to be interesting. But I mean, again, when you, you know, you're, you're not having Halep there. You don't have Osaka there. Williams retires in round one. Those na- There's no real staying power right now, which is, you know, too bad. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I personally don't mind seeing a bunch of different people win it because there's just that stark contrast between the men's game and the women's game. It could not be more stark, the differences. True. Yeah, that's a very good point. I agree with you. Very good point. And, and it's... Uh... Again, each time you're getting each tournament, you don't know what you're going to get. And tournament organizers, I mean, yeah, definitely. If you go to the U.S. Open, you're going to want one of the Williams or an American to to go deep. So it's better for ticket sales and things like that. But I think in in the European tournaments, they they do like the uh, the variety. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's great for that that um, 
that person from that country, like what it does for the sport in that uh, in that country, and and uh, it's a great marketing uh, tool. <laughs> if, if a player does well, uh, goes deep into a, into a major like they are here, and does wonders for the game back in their home in their homeland. So worldwide, it's fantastic. Honestly, it's fantastic for the game, and and as you've seen here with Canada, what what the success of of our star athletes has done for our sport here. I mean, it's made my job easier here at Tennis Manitoba to get kids playing and, and adults interested in the sport. And, and hopefully that's doing the same thing right across the uh, right across the world. Well, on that note, before I let you go, what are the, what is the situation in terms of tennis in Manitoba right now? Are you able to, to gather and play? What is it? What does the summer look like for your sport here? Yeah. You know what? It's, it's, it's looking up. I mean, the, uh, the latest health orders, the restrictions uh, have been eased a bit where we are, uh, are playing tennis. Uh, there are no organized tournaments yet. I'm hoping that's lifted in, in August, but definitely tennis is a sport, safe sport. And you can just see by looking at it, we're 75 feet apart from each other when we're hitting and uh, no danger for COVID there, but it's, uh, you know, around, around Manitoba, around Winnipeg, you look at the course, they are packed. I know uh, registration memberships are up at each of the clubs and uh, tennis Manitoba actually just took uh, over operations of the, uh, of the Deer Lodge tennis club. So we're, we're running, uh, running events there, running uh, leagues and, and lessons and things like that at the, uh, it's called the Tennis Manitoba Hub at Deer Lodge. So uh, it's, it's, it's looking up and up. And like I said, with, with the success of the stars, our, uh, our programs are filling up and it's, it's nice to see people on the court and enjoying a sport that, that kids or you know, people can enjoy from, from four to 94. It's, it's a great sport. It's a safe sport and a lifetime sport. Mark, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and enjoy the rest of the tournament. Hopefully the Canadians can keep on winning. Yeah, and hopefully we can talk on Monday about a successful uh, Sunday for for a Canadian. Tomorrow night, the NBA Finals begin. The Bucks of Milwaukee seeking their first title in half a century. The Phoenix Suns looking to win their first championship ever. It's a fresh blood final, the likes of which we haven't seen, ooh, I don't know, since well before I was born. And well before Kyle Milroy was born. Isn't that right, Kyle Milroy, producer at CJOB and basketball lover? Yeah. Um, it's funny you should mention that. I pulled up a good bit of a, a good stat. I know you like statistics Ooh. and trivia, and it, yes. it kind of ties into what you're talking about. So since 1980 in the NBA, 12 franchises have won an NBA championship. That's it? In 40, 41 years. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm not going to rattle off all 12. You can look it up. But, yeah, only 12 uh, dominated much by the Lakers. Uh, the Bulls have six. The Spurs are four. Golden State is three. Uh, the Celtics have a few. Uh, yeah, five. there's only – yeah, the Spurs are five, exactly. Excuse me. And so th- there's only a few uh, singular ones. I think the 76ers and 83, the Cavs and Pistons the have Raptors. A few. And the Pistons have – 80, I think the Pistons have one of them in 1980. That's where I started the count. I was going to start at the 90, and then I realized if I went back 10 years, it only added, like, one name, <laughs> one number to the total. So I'm like, oh, yeah, we get random. So, you know, you go back and you look through history. You know, there's the one Washington Bullet season. The Sonics had a random win. I think as history yeah. goes along, the Raptors are going to fall into that category as, oh, they won that one that one time. I, I, no offense to, to Raptors fans like yourself, but here we have for the second time in three years, basically, and I think safe to say, Kyle, going into this season or going into this finals, I know that injuries have happened in playoffs in the past, and injuries are maybe the number one reason Toronto won a title in 2019. But one of the best abilities is availability, 
and the Phoenix Suns, yes, their opponents have been hurt a lot, but they've stayed healthy, and they should be not docked for that as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? I completely agree. I see this, if you are into NBA Twitter, you see this far too much where, like, every season has an asterisk in it, and it's like, oh, blah, 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 if so-and-so wasn't hurt, if so-and-so wasn't hurt. I'm like, shouldn't you, by saying every season should have an asterisk, means that no season should have an asterisk? That, yeah, injury, not getting injured isn't just some stroke of luck that happens or doesn't happen. Not being injured is, you know... It comes in load management. It comes in just, you know, knowing when you when, know when to push and when to back off. It's not just, oops, I stepped on that guy's ankle so my team doesn't win the title. I mean, sure, that has happened in a couple of examples, so maybe not the best the best use of words there. But, um, yeah, the Suns are, should not be docked. If anything, it should just be an asterisk of, of a season. Not to say, like, the Suns winning the title should be an asterisk, but just, hey, asterisk for checking out this season and seeing what the heck happened why everyone got hurt and also why it's july and the season is still going (laughs) right yeah july 6th the finals open tomorrow in phoenix the season was longer than the nhl's by 14 games or 16 games it was a 72 game season compared to 56 they did start about uh, three or four weeks before the nhl did despite ending like a week or two after in their bubble compared to the nhl's bubble their offseason was super short and so it's clear that the the length of the season has had an impact. But on the on the topic of injuries, right, they beat the Lakers because Anthony Davis got hurt. He's a guy with an yep. injury history. They beat the Nuggets who, you know, Jamal Murray got hurt in the season. That was kind of a, you know, a fluke injury that may have been related to fatigue. But Kawhi Leonard also has an injury history, and he's out for the Clippers. So this it's, it's part, I think part of the risk when you're picking up uh, some of these high-priced players is knowing that, when push comes to shove, there's a non-zero chance they might not be available for you. And Chris Paul, throughout his career, has proven to be a pretty durable guy. Right. For it, for Chris Paul to be kind of on the other shoe of that, where that's been his complete M.O. for his whole career. It's like either he, with with help from his teammates, kind of doesn't go far enough or just has a weird injury. And for him, I guess maybe, you know, getting COVID counts as his weird injury this year. Let's hope, knock on wood, I don't want him to be hurt again. I want him to play and I wanted to I want to see him win a title, frankly, because it's been long enough. But I mean, yeah, it's just it's weird that all these things are happening. And Chris Paul is the observer in all these freak injuries. So that's in the West, in the East, Milwaukee. There, I think we need to say if Brooklyn was healthy, mm-hmm. they would have won the title. But, you know, ifs and buts and, you know, whatever the phrase is. The thing is, <laughs> so they were not healthy. They almost, they still went overtime in Game 7 against the Bucks, who then beat an Atlanta team whose best player got hurt during the series by stepping on a ref's foot, which, you know, is just that could have happened to anybody at any time. So that's tough. But Milwaukee was a team going into the season. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, their superstar, the Greek freak, has won the MVP twice. And they are here now in the finals. Phoenix didn't have these expectations. Milwaukee, there were high hopes for them. And so looking at this matchup now, where do you see right now the the pendulum shifting? Which side do you think should be favored in this matchup? Well, it's weird that um, even though the Bucks are the team with more pedigree and with more expectations and with more experience overall in the playoffs, the Phoenix Suns had five more wins this season than them. And you could, you know, count to schedule and whatever else and who played during the regular season. But I don't think there's any 
bad thing that could be attached to the Phoenix Suns if they happen to lose the series. Maybe Chris Paul, you know, getting one last shot and not making it, that'll be kind of a disappointment. But also, we've seen countless times that sort of momentum or that sort of storyline, I suppose, kind of goes in the favor of that team will say, hey, you know, let's win this for our guy. This is his, I'm going to go out and say, this is his best last chance to get an NBA title. For him to do this again with uh, sort of the reloaded Warriors coming next year, with LA back in and again, with the the Clippers again, I still don't know what's going to happen. Like technically Kawhi Leonard could not be on the Clippers next year, but that's for another show. Um, Yeah, it's his last, I won't say it's his last chance. It's definitely his best last chance. And that accounts for a lot. And it's weird to think that if the Bucks lose this finals, that it would be considered a disappointment. But I can have that argument. I don't know if I'd fall on the side of saying it'd be a disappointment, but it's not an insane argument. It's something I would listen to and say, okay, I'm understanding how you're feeling. I disagree, but I get it. We should mention, as far as injuries are concerned, Giannis Antetokounmpo did get hurt in the Atlanta series, and he missed. He left game four, which was already a kind of a, an Atlanta runaway, and then the Bucks won games five and six without him. Atlanta had to compromise Trey Young, so the, I, you could call it a wash. I don't know if you should. Milwaukee's just yeah. a deeper team than Atlanta was. But well, and the fa- and the and just to interrupt quickly, just yeah, the, the fact ahead. that the fact that we're able to discuss Antetokounmpo possibly playing this series is good because yes. after right after he got injured, I oh, thought, well, oh I thought no, this is like an ACL tear. Uh-huh. He's out for next season. Yeah, it would be terrible. Just like so Clay I'm Thompson just happy that in the 2019 finals. Exactly. So I'm just happy he's probably not going to play or be near 100%, but the fact that it's like a day-to-day quote-unquote thing and they're talking about him potentially playing is very good. Um, I'll say that's very good. So one thing we've seen when he's in the lineup is that when he's there and they're going inside, it works for them. When they're settling for threes, it tends to not work as well, especially when he's shooting threes. It's a bad time because Phoenix in the postseason is shooting 37.3% from three. The Bucks are shooting 31.1%. So that is a huge disparity uh, that Phoenix is going to look to exploit. So can the Suns, if Milwaukee says, hey, we're going to take you inside, can the Suns combat that, or are they in trouble inside with just basically DeAndre Ayton? So here's the weird statistic I found. I looked this up because I'm like, okay, they, I know they played this season. So the the, the Suns and the Bucks played twice this season. Antetokounmpo had 40 points a game in those two games. The Suns won both games, Ooh. so I don't know what to. That sort of is both are of our. That's sort of both the theories kind of slamming into each other, and I don't know how to to think about that. But it, it's two games versus up to seven. I think, yeah, I think you're right. If if Antonio Kubo gets going, it opens the floor more. It spaces everyone out. It leaves to people not just sitting around and waiting for him to get his. Or yeah, if the Suns get uh, Giannis shooting threes, that's amazing for them that's that's what they want because he'll do it if he's kind of not feeling it this game or if he's not getting into the paint as much as he can and yeah the Suns are a little undersized Aiton I really like if he can kind of at least alter a lot of Giannis shots or keep him from just being able to feast in the paint I think it's really easy for to see the Suns winning this series um but yeah if Antetokounmpo gets his and also involves his teammates because if he just gets his that's good. So that's kind of what I'm gathering from the 40 points per game against the Suns. Is he got his, but they were able to shut out the rest of the the Bucks. Now, can they do that over a seven game series? Is another story altogether. 
I will say from a size standpoint, Brooke Lopez had a monster game when Giannis was out in game five of the last round, and he had 30-something points. He was he scored basically every shot he took. And, and we're not going to do a Ewing theory argument here about Giannis being out of the lineup, <laughs> but we can we can at least acknowledge that if they if Brooke Lopez is not a zero on the defensive end, there's a potential that there's a size exploitation thing there because we know that Phoenix is going to shoot the three better than the Bucks are going to. Yeah, and we know Lopez can shoot the three, so that could even some of it out. And you're right, yeah. like that's if Phoenix is just hitting 14, 15 threes a game, I don't think Milwaukee has a chance to keep up with them. It's about them being able to play good defense, and they have the guys. Uh, Giannis can play good defense, but they have PJ Tucker. I'm not a big fan of Milwaukee's bench. They don't have a lot like going no, on. Not even the bench, but just little. like. Just who's the, like, let's say one of uh, Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday has, like, a cold couple games. Who else is stepping up for them? Like you said, Lopez is pretty good. Um, but, Bob, like, Bobby Portis, Connaughton, uh, it's, it's kind of slim pickings. They usually run, I mean, a lot of teams usually run eight-man rotations in the playoffs, eight or nine. But I don't see them playing any important minutes, I don't think. Unless they're just, you know, cruising along, then they can kind of get them in. But it's not... I like a lot of the guys more on the Suns. I like Torrey Craig. I like Cameron Payne. Torrey Craig has the great story of just been traded for cash considerations, basically. And now he's playing in an NBA final. Um, so I like them better. I like Saric uh, a bit better than the Suns. The Suns don't have a they don't have a fantastic bench, but if you're just comparing them with the Bucks, it's an easy win for the Suns in that category. All right. So before I let you go, uh, two things. One, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna make you pick, but also just acknowledging the Roger Sherman tweet that sometime in the next few weeks, hundreds of thousands of people who have never seen their favorite team win a championship in their entire life will get to celebrate a championship. That rule is so hard. We've seen, as we said off the top, so many of the same teams went over and over again. Sure, the ratings might not be as high. This is awesome for basketball, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think? It's 100% awesome. And there was people complaining kind of earlier on when it got, I think, down to the semifinals about how some of the stars that weren't in. But then you go... If you take that in theory, how do those people become stars? They won titles. They got far in the playoff. This is how that happens. And to potentially see Chris Paul win a title, to potentially see Giannis kind of get that last box checked on his resume, or to see uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton just become NBA champions. It's And yeah, to see all those long-suffering fan bases. The the Suns had won at a couple cool blips in 93. They were in the finals in... Uh, from the mid 2000s, they probably should have made one final. I think um, Steve Nash days, but yeah, because they were just the most fun basketball team to watch, and they kind of got they just kind of ran into the Tim Duncan Spurs, which is you know no fault on their own. Um, but yeah, so they they haven't had a lot to cheer about, and the Bucks have had even less. I guess they had the fun Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson days, um, and then they had you know Lou Alcindor in the 70s, and that's about yeah, that's it. A long time ago now. So, I mean, full disclosure, I'm cheering for Phoenix. I'm not going to pick. That's why you're on the show. What's your pick? Yep. I picked Suns in six last round. I, I Sorry, I picked I picked the Suns to win the last round in six, and that ended up happening. And then I said after that that the Suns would win this in six, and I'm sticking to that. Suns in six. All right. Well, we'll be watching. Kyle, appreciate your time. Enjoy the basketball. Thank you, Christian. That's Kyle Milroy. He does everything at CGOB. And when he's not at CGOB, he likes watching basketball and wrestling. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more 
every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.